Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. Hey everyone, welcome back to Snakes and Otters. We're excited, this is episode 5, we're recording outside, it's a really nice day. Uh, I'm Martin. I'm Robert. I'm Francis. Guys, I know our last uh, four episodes, we've done a lot of history stuff, and I wanted to do something a little different for episode 5. And hit a little pop culture stuff. Um, and of course, right now, very little is bigger in pop culture than comic book stuff. Amen. Uh, I guess so Game, true. Game of Thrones is probably the only thing that even approaches it. Uh, perhaps. Uh, perhaps we might even say that for posterity's future, Game of Thrones just ended two weeks ago and Avengers Endgame just dropped three weeks ago. Yep. So we're very much still basking in the glow of both <laughs> of these major pop culture events. So, listeners, this may surprise you, but uh, we're nerds, and we're big into comic book stuff. I know we sound uh, all debonair and worldly with our... Suave and boner. Yeah, with our witty repartee and bourbon talk, but um, we're, we're very much nerds, so... In the best sense of the word, thank you very much. <laughs> nerd, culture, nerd culture rules right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, because it, it is culture, as opposed to many other things that may masquerade as such and not be such. But, uh, you know, it wasn't ruling uh, 30 years ago, which is a disappointment, but it is kind of on top now. We have reached our ascendancy, sir. Everybody needs a nerd. Amen. We're not, we're not going to fix your printer if you <laughs> make fun of us. So. That's right. The short answer is restart your system. <laughs> Don't call us until you reboot. Yep. That's right. And then do it again, just because. Just because. All right. So... What I wanted to get to, though, guys, is about comic books. What's the appeal? Why do we love them? What are we into this for? And and I know, in particular, from my experience, I'm you guys, of course, have much broader experience into it. My experience is pretty much limited to the Silver Age, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a early Bronze Age. Yeah, that, you would be some of that too. Yeah, through so the 70s. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much a kind of that late 70s yeah. uh, swing through, but you guys have stayed with it much longer than I mm-hmm. have. So, I, with that, with the Silver Age as a touchstone, what's the appeal? Why do we love them? And I guess we better define the Silver Age a little bit. So, I'm going to let Robert okay. talk about that because I, I wanted to put him on the spot with this one. So, you've got multiple eras that people talk about really for comic book history. In the beginning, uh, way back in the time of the dinosaurs, you have the Golden Age. Golden Age is really from the very beginning, in the mid-30s, up through, depending on who you talk to, the early 50s or the mid to late 50s. Depending Again, depends on who you talk to. And that's primarily the DC stuff. So Superman, Batman. No, no, there's lots of Marvel but stuff there. There is, but DC does kind of get, uh, there's, uh, you kind of can, if you're looking for an issue, Oftentimes, you'll mark the beginning of the Golden Age with Action Comics number or number one or Detective Comics number 27. Batman right, and Superman. Batman, Batman and Superman, their very first, right. and they're right around the same time. Uh, and you can begin the, the Silver Age, which kind of morphs into the Marvel Age, but it doesn't start there, uh, with the beginning of the Flash on Earth, what eventually becomes Earth 1. I the not, New Flash. The New Flash, which I do not remember the issue. Showcase number exactly, four. Exactly, I know it's a showcase, exactly. Yeah. 
which that's when they decided, and Julie Schwartz at DC is the one that did a lot of this, that says we need to modernize this stuff because superheroes haven't sold since after the war. That's why yeah. most of them went away. Other than Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, superheroes, all those great Justice Society folks, of which I've been a long-time devotee, kind of faded away. They just weren't there anymore. And uh, it's in, if you saw Toy Story, you kind of get it, because Woody and the cowboy stuff is fading away, and Sputnik and Buzz Lightyear and the Space Age are beginning. All yeah. this takes place, and that's why the uh, Justice Society, Julius Schwartz always said, sounded too much like you know uh, a, a card game club. It's it's not that a knitting club. He said it's not good enough. So he went to the National Football League or National or National League for baseball and said that's the Justice League. And yeah, so though yeah, broadly that's the beginning of those two. The way I said one of the reasons I said it, depending on who you talk to, Golden Age to me and the Silver Age, I think there's an age in between mm-hmm. where you've got the end of the superheroes, which is really very very early fifties. Right. So you got about that five to eight year because it takes a few years for it to get ramped up at dc that's right um period where it's mainly monster books right yeah, yeah. and that's kind of the origin yeah. of timely yeah well, uh, that becomes marvel right well, well, actually becomes, that's atlas that's atlas At, which they ta- were, timely okay. becomes atlas which eventually becomes marvel yep but, but they were heavy into the monster books that's right and all yes, through the 50s uh, and crime and suspense that's right and yeah. as well as the ec comics which were in the early 50s uh, that's where the horror really was in the ascendance. There were war comics still, mm-hmm. yeah. fantasy almost unheard of, but yeah. it kind of blew. Fantasy as we think about it today, exactly yes. hard heroic yeah. fantasy. I had those. a ton of the old war comics, that's right. mm-hmm. the old '60s war and comics. And those those were always popular, really, until the late '80s. And that's when they kind of just they yeah. just, the genre just went away. We didn't want them anymore. Yeah. But in the '60s and '70s, it's every, really surprising they lasted that long, considering right. the be, '60s and '70s. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and they were. Uh, but they were always guaranteed. But they sales. were they were a re- uh, reaction to the counterculture, in a, in, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. big way in they the were. late sixties. Well, it was also the World War Two era of the young boys whose fathers went off to war. Also, the soldiers, the GIs, they liked this stuff. Yeah, that's kind of. And when they come back, they kept it up. So there was always that kind of a mystique around yeah. the World War. And a lot II of that stuff was getting published at the same time that some of the big war movies that is correct were being made. Yeah, because so, yeah. you think Dirty Dozen in sixty seven and stuff like that. That that all. Is all that same period, right? Right, yeah. And by the mid seventies, this is post just post Vietnam, that wanes, mm-hmm. and uh, comics takes a little while. But really, you've got Sergeant Rock, which is really the last one standing at the end. I think for DC, uh, Unknown Soldier, Unknown Soldier as well. Uh, that's right. Soldier, yes, yeah. those were the and Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos went into the early eighties as well. Right, exactly. But most of those, oh, were, a lot of those are reprints. reprints, reprints. Exactly. So they were they were trying to keep that character alive, but it just didn't have what so, it did. You've got those three periods. You got early superheroes, this post-Comics uh, Code Authority. That's yes. you Remember, uh, the Wortham book right. basically lambasted uh, uh, comics. At, basically, it's the comic book version, uh, or the printed version of the Red Scare. It's exactly yes. right. Comics corrupting the morals of the youth. That's why, from that early 50s on up into the 60s, there was so much stuff that was just inane, uh, childish kind of stuff in it's many the ways. the only way they could Very, survive. So, uh, very uh, soft pedaled, very uh, uh, immature, very uh, lacking in depth, very shallow kind of material. Yeah. Um, then when you get into the '60s, when truly the beginning of the Silver Age as we know it today really right. is Fantastic Four number one. Correct. Now we say that mainly in retrospect because you had five years DC's building up their new line, but right. again it was slowly. Correct. You know, it didn't 
take off immediately. And the stories, if you read through some of those early ones, they're very good. Gardner Fox, Carmine Infantino, and many of these other guys, but it's still written very infantile. Yes. And that's kind of the difference, is because they've modernized, but it's still written because they're scared to death. Yeah. of being shut down because yeah. many of their competitions did. They've got to make it sure that it's very moral and it's very fun and kids can get it and not be yep. corrupted. Yep. It's hence the comic code. So you've got a similar thing going on over at Marvel, but the difference there is that you've got more depth to the characters. That's right. Yes. And that's, that's Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah. That's yeah. really well, and, where and that Steve, Yeah, all of the early Steve creators. Steve all the others. Many others. So you've got that. And then you've got the '70s, which we really what we would more uh, call the the Bronze Age. Yeah, we're, so we're gold, silver, and then bronze. That's right, because the Bronze Age is when the stories themselves matured to the point where you could the comics code was relaxed, horror was brought back in a very limited fashion. You couldn't even say the word vampire. That's right, or, or zombie. Yeah. Uh, during the comic during the 60s you just couldn't do that and you didn't Marvel used Zuvembi Zuvembi exactly which stupidest is stupidest word I've ever heard of but that's how they got around it uh, it, it was very similar on television too Dark Shadows in the, in the 1960s yes. they couldn't say vampire it wasn't until like 69 that they actually used that word even though the character of Barnabas Collins had been biting necks for four years yeah. so what you see there is actually a mirror of the greater culture we talked about in prior episodes when you get into the 70s you see a, a dramatic shift to realism in movies. That's exactly right. John Wayne's doing cop movies. That's right. What the hell is John Wayne yeah. doing cop yeah, movies that for? Is, that is a big part of the early 70s cinema is that new cinema and it was, idea of gritty realism, French connection, all of that stuff. And But that, believe it or not, a lot of that started, a part of this is, is the flower children in Vietnam and all that, but... Television actually was one of the precursors to this. Yes. If you've looked up, uh, look up, look up Rural Purge on Wikipedia. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. This Where is when in the sixties CBS you had dropped like ten shows, ten shows, all, one, all of all which once. were made by uh, film filmways, which did the Beverly Hillbillies, Green all, Acres, all the country stuff. May, went Ameri- at once. Uh, yeah, yep, exactly. Yep. And if you look back on it, it's it was a deliberate decision. In many respects, this was a question of life creating art. Yes. Not art reflecting life because they said, but it was sort of. They intend. They said our people don't want to see this. Our people, our younger viewers, want to see realism. Therefore, in 1970, even shows that were popular, they were all axed. Yeah, yep. those and then shows you were have, successful. Then you have the Mary Tyler Moore Show, All in the Family, Maud, and all those other changes. That yeah, take very exactly. modern. Yeah, and by modern, I mean tied to the current reality. That's right. I mean, and you think about going from culturally yeah. aware. And it was uh, Gomer Powell, for instance. He, he's during Vietnam is when Gomer Powell and the word Vietnam in, or anything that's going on over there is never mentioned. Never mentioned. That was one of the. You think, I mean, you think about Mayberry RFD. That's right. To All in the Family. That's or correct. To it was a deliberate switch, turn of the yeah. shift, and yeah. so many people who were of that era bemoan the fact that all those quote unquote good shows are no longer out there. Well, I'm sorry, the culture had already left them. Yeah. It was a business decision made correctly. Yeah. People, people didn't want to see that much. So, to bring this back to the topic, yeah, which sure. is the comics. So, because, again, I just want to get a general timeline here, because I think there's a timeline of how this is accepted as well. Yeah. So, you've got the Bronze Age, where you see a lot of uh, more realistic. So, you've got, for instance, Power Man uh, at Marvel. Uh, is basically a street-level uh, anti-hero, because he's Luke Cage. He was in prison. 
experimented on him, he becomes a superhero. Yeah. He's very much in line with the black exploitation yes. movies of the early 70s. You've also got Black Goliath that That's would fall right. right into that. Very much so. You've also got Black Lightning, black Lightning. at right. DC. Which was less successful, although he does have a TV show. Probably. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you've got Wonder Woman losing her powers and becoming a super ninja. She becomes... Um, uh, uh, Odd? <laughs> no, 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 no. She becomes... Uh, uh, the female chick from the Avengers, the TV oh, show. Oh, Mrs. Peel. She, Mrs. Peel. she becomes Mrs. Peel. Exactly right. She even looks like Mrs. Oh, Peel. Oh yeah, she's wearing what you would call mod clothing, the bell bottoms, all the things. You know, yeah. All still, you know, always tasteful. They don't show any cleavage, yeah. no butts, none of that stuff. That comes later. Uh, but it's very. It, it actually fits that. Yeah. Well, at one You've point got... in in Marvel, though, Norman Osborn, uh, or no, uh, Harry. Harry. Is you know, I was just going to get to that. You get to the that, yeah. Green Lantern dealing was... with drugs. You get to Spider Man dealing with drugs. That was. That, that was, was huge. huge. That's right, and it was Definitely deliberate. Huge. And a lot of it, it was two guys responsible for a lot of that. And DC side, it was Denny O'Neill, uh, who had been writing Batman for a while there. And basically, and he's one of the best art uh, art writers in the business. He's the one that is writing Green Lantern, Green Arrow. That they've been told the book is failing. Neil Adams is the artist. We got to do something. So Denny says, "Let me take the training wheels off." And that's when he does this story about drugs. And this is after, right around the same time, but shortly after. Stan Lee, the government comes to him and asks him to do a, a anti-drug message, and he writes one where uh, a young man is high on drugs, and it's part of the story. Comics Code Authority says you can't do that, and Stan has a moment, and he'll tell you the story. He says, "Okay, we're going to go without the code." <laughs> now that the code <laughs> is realized, they're irrelevant. They come back to Marvel afterwards and go, "Uh, let's revise this code." And right after that is when all these things where now you can have. Dracula, you can have vampires yep. and uh, werewolves, that, and shortly after that, Tomb of Dracula, uh, uh, Werewolf by Night, and the Monster of Frankenstein, as well mm -hmm. as Phantom Stranger at DC, and the Spawn of Frankenstein, and all these other horror, uh, yes, horror yeah, things. Spectre. Uh, the, the Spectre had been in there before. But yeah, he's was, a Golden Age character. He's a Golden Age yeah. character, and he had a book back in the early 60s, very superhero-y, kind of a little weird, but in Adventure Comics, Jim Apparel and Mike Fleischer, Fleischer, I think is the one that wrote it. I, I may be wrong on this. Did a, a run of about ten issues with the Spectre in Adventure. I in remember Adventure those. Comics. In you Adventure probably remember Comics, that. Yeah. Where it was very, very graphic at the yes. time. Yes. Uh, with violence. Yes. Very and it violent. Still is seen as one of those watershed moments because everybody said, "Wait a minute." He didn't last, but the book was really, really good. Yeah. In fact, so much so there was even a couple unpublished stories that were not of that that were published later in a collection. So that was one of those mini watershed moments. So you, you start to see this move kind of mirroring some of the, the other media. Yeah. Uh, moving into away from uh, fantastical magic yep. and science fiction. Right. Right. Yep. Into more street level kind of stuff. But also, in its own way, suspense and horror. Not suspense and horror as we might have thought of it in the 50s. That's right, which was graphic, graphic, graphic. It was really more suspense kind of right. stuff. Now, yeah. obviously, the Frankenstein book. And even the the man thing and the swamp, swamp thing, thing came man thing did time. come first. Yes, um, you know some of this. It's it's not just it's not there to scare people. Right. Uh, oddly enough, it's what it's what would have later be called sophisticated suspense. Yes. When, when swamp thing in the early '80s came back and went into the Vertigo imprint, that's what they put on the tagline with Alan Moore and John Totalbin. It was sophisticated suspense. It was one of the few successful books that. Was and if you read some of that stuff, Alan Moore being an absolute loon, mind you, but damn, he wrote well, and he. Some of those things are still classic. So, this is all through the seventies. 
we had a big cultural meltdown at the end of the 70s. Right. Oddly enough, we also had a cultural meltdown in the comics. Yeah. The DC implosion in That's 78. Right. Right. Uh, Marvel, they got Jack Kirby back, and then they had a similar implosion of all his stuff. Right. And so, Just, which was some really good stuff. Yeah. Really a shame some of that stuff didn't continue. Yeah, it was very original. It was yeah. it was he was not working off a template like he and Stan had done in the early sixties. They kind of together came up with those magic things. You, many of those stories are very similar. Yeah. Iron Man's story is similar to Doc Tony Stephen Strange's story to different others where yeah. something happens. Peter Parker's story, you get the powers, something you happens. You get bitten by you, something, yeah, exposed to radiation, you know. Some magical right, device. Right. All the, the, but the way a lot all of goes. that ties into the culture as well. Yes, is, it's the hero's journey. It's is what it is. Well, but it's it's taking this hero's journey yes. stuff, this classic, yeah. and then turning it upside down because of okay, we're in this age of rockets and nuclear bombs mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So again, you are seeing it in other media. I mean, you're talking about things like Tarantula and them. Oh yeah, and all those great movies. That same thing is then starting to happen in the comic books. That's right. Books. It's amazing yeah. how they, they reflect each other. In many respects, comic books are a great barometer for the culture. Yeah. Well, yes, and, and it, I'm going to get to some of that in a second. So, not to, to cut no, you off, ahead. but the in the 80s, then you see what I would just call a resurgence yes, of comics. In Marvel, as much as he is reviled in some circles, Jim Shooter... Yeah. Save Marvel Comics in the Very 80s. Very much so, yes. Yeah. He, all the best stuff happened under him. Now, some of the worst stuff happened under him. They killed Jean Grey. That's right. They sort of had to, but still annoys me. That's, well, I, there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of discussion over that. Some yes. People, people blame Claremont for that. He went too far in an issue, and they wrote himself to a corner, nevertheless. But that one issue is one of the biggest selling of all time. Yes. I mean, that's essentially what this new movie is. is, is it is. Yes, exactly right. It it's is. Dark it's Phoenix. Dark, yeah, but you started to have real consequences in the comics. That's right. They were becoming sophisticated in the sense that, um, even though in the 70s they dealt with some things, like Steve Englehart, he was great at this. Yes. Uh, when Captain America dealt with corruption in the government around the time of Watergate. Okay. Oh, yes. But again, tied to what's going on culturally. Now, I think you see at the beginning of the 80s, with the Reagan presidency, it was a time of, uh, well, it was one of the campaigns in the 84, Morning in America. You know, everybody was optimistic. Right. Uh, the economy was going gangbusters. You know, things were looking really good. Gas lines were forgotten. Gas lines were forgotten. And, uh, uh, ultimately, that. Watergate's a memory. Watergate's a memory. Vietnam's the space memory. shuttles up. Yes. You know, we're back in space after how many years? And then you have the wall falling at the end of the decade. All these things are going on, and comics, in a way, are starting to. They're mirroring this, not feeding it necessarily, but they're also mirroring this, where there's bigger things happening. Because I mean. There's bigger things happening with. Uh, it's where you start seeing the first major crossovers. Right. Yeah. That was um, that was a result. Of you that. start seeing things uh, happen more line wide. Uh, seeing the the um, the. Well, with Marvel, this is already true. Where, where things are already a, a a larger universe. In DC, it was to some extent, but most of their titles were more self-contained. Right. Although, some of the best stuff that happened in Mar- in DC was due to guys who left Marvel. Right. Uh, and brought that what was called the Marvel style over there. Yes, because and, and, and in many respects, DC was a little bit not afraid to be creative. Hence the implosion, because they realized we can't afford to let you guys do all these great things you're doing because nobody's buying them. That's yeah. why you. That's why you lost all that. So DC tried a completely different path, failed, and then they came back around. And they realized, and you're right, it became a far more formulaic fashion by the end of the '80s because they realized certain things just don't work, but certain things do. Yeah. 
and the whole line, the whole crossover business. And I would now correct me if I'm wrong, but I would put the beginning of that at Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-mm. Nope. See, I knew you. I knew you wouldn't say that. Well, I'd have to look at the timeline because you had around the same time Secret Wars. Yeah, I think Crisis was a little ahead, but you're you may be right. Uh, no, but, I think you're right. I think Crisis is is first. And then Secret Wars. They're about a year apart. Crisis was a bit more self-contained. It was 12 issues, same creative team. Yes, because it was a cutoff. When, when they right. went to the new issues after that, it was brand new. That's right. It was, it was, a, it was the first reboot. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was the true reboot of continuity. I mean, John Byrne came in and redid Superman. Yes. Who redoes Superman? Yeah. And you throw away all that, com- that continuity becomes another alternate universe. Uh, and you have Alan Moore again. Finish it out. With the, uh, whatever happened to the man for tomorrow, and it was like the ending, and then boom, you start over okay. again. Yep. So, but Secret Wars was much broader. It was a line-wide issue. It was. This was something that was somewhat self-contained. Yes, you actually dealt with the ramifications of it in the individual books. Right. So that was probably the first big one that really started that sort of thing. Right. We had all this yeah. side You're issue You're not going crack. to just get them to buy these new, this special event. You're going to buy every other book that we you publish because everything. to get the real story, the full story, you need all these extras. Yeah. And so, and also at the end of this, you've got artists becoming the hot thing. Right. Yes, I know that that's a whole nother launching, a whole nother era of when the artists like Todd McFarlane become names unto themselves. Yes. Prior to him, you've got the, the Image era, which is really the early 90s. Yes. You've got Byrne, Perez, Simonson. In the 70s, you've got Neil Adams. Right. Very um, yeah, you Still know, out there. People still were following Kirby. Um, Mike Grell. You know, Mike Grell. Yeah. The, I mean, Kirby really in the good. 70s. you got Mike Grell. You've got uh, Jim Starlin. Yep. You've got Epic, which is the creator-owned stuff, the entrepreneurial comics. Yes. Which I know that's a whole other Because they didn't want to squelch that. that, but they just didn't think you could market anywhere. So they come up, well, let's do Epic. Because, you know, uh, Heavy Metal's done okay. It yeah. still sells, so uh, let's just do and that. some of that stuff sold great. That's right. So then all that leads into artists are king, to the point where artists, again, it's Flash. What do you think of the 90s? Everything's Flash and no substance. That's right. Yeah. Oh, well, my gosh. I mean, that's not entirely true, but I mean, there's so much of that. And in the comics, it's kind of reflecting that. That's right. Lee, Rob Leefield kind of exemplifies that in many ways. Yes. Because God love he, him. He, he's, he's, he's a great very guy. creative. He loves the medium. He loves to come up stuff. But he's very formulaic in the way he does things. You know, lots of guys are. But because his stuff sold so well, or at least perceived to do so, many copied him. And that creates that Leefield look, which is not fair to him in many respects because he was unique on his own. But that uh, the way he uh, went to market, all of a sudden everybody's trying to go to market that way. You might have had Jim Lee first. I'd have to go back and see. But I think Leefield was first. But you're right, Jim Lee. But Jim Lee did not become into his own until a little bit later. That's true. Uh, because but he was there. He was more. He was far more polished than Leefield. Very much so. Leefield was very because at this point. You can't be a George Perez very successfully where you're always late and you've got to have fill-ins. Right. Uh, John Byrne never never really suffered much from that. He was able to do that. Perez, for as beautiful as his work is, very independable. That's why he, you know, he had. I mean, his Fantastic Four run is still the best that you could ever ask for, in my opinion. Absolutely. Time. Outside of Kirby and Lee, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. It's well, the let quintessential. Me, let me circle you guys back around a little bit though, because you've done an awesome job as a new would, really defining these eras and defining what's 
different about each one. And how we interact with the culture. Yes. We so, may, and, not a whole lot of interaction, but a lot right. of reflection. Yeah, that parallel of comics, TV, uh, movies, and all that. So I want to circle back, though, but what's, Why? what's the appeal? And, I, and I, again, zeroing in on the Silver Age being this first time when there's realism. Is that what the appeal is? Is that it, it really spoke to our real world then? Well, because we were... I don't know that we're the worried about Age the same it did things. as much. No, I would say the Bronze Age is the one that really began that. But I Silver think, Age teed that up. I yeah. think the appeal, though, goes back to the, the substance of what it is. Right. When we think of comic books today, and comic book material, we think of movies. It's only been the last 20 years, and especially the last 10 years, where you could do comic book material in the movies and yeah. do it realistically. Yeah. Yes. I mean, think about the Hulk and Spider-Man in the late 70s on TV. You know, very much uh, real-world special effects. They looked, you know, really crappy now. Yeah. Um, you know, because you couldn't, they didn't have CGI to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. You could only do that kind of stuff in the comics. Right. right? It's because out there, you can be fantastical. Not only now can you be fantastical in the Star movies. Wars notwithstanding, right. the stuff that it was doing there with the effects was mostly the miniatures, right? Yeah. That was, and so, you know, and lightsabers notwithstanding, there's not a whole lot of uh, guys wielding uh, you know, what we call now force lightning uh, until much later in the very end of the last movie. Um, those special effects just didn't exist until the mid to late 80s and then really start learning how to apply it. Yeah. So, Part of the appeal is what you can actually do with them. Also part of the appeal was the cost. Copies were printed, titles were printed by the millions per copy in the 40s. Okay. Part of that is they were sending them overseas. Yeah. By the truckload. Oh, yeah. Because it's cheap entertainment. Cheap entertainment and it's quick and it's disposable. Exactly. That's right. But this was in the newsprint era, though. Yeah. You would think we wouldn't have survived that. We almost didn't, mind you. And it, but it was only at the beginning, uh, really towards halfway through the Bronze Age, where the newsprint started to go away. Comics bio rights should not and could not have survived, except they had created this following because they were a long-form storytelling. That's what kept you coming back. But that's the, a, that's very much a Marvel, Stan Lee kind of thing, long-form storytelling. Well, yes and no. DC did it, but they later. were... Later. They did it later. later. Well, when I say long-form... Running up to that, it's mostly what you would call a bottle book. A little everything, everything. Every, there were reset buttons. Everything comes to status quo ante by the end That's of the book. Yes. But they slowly begin to realize, wait a minute, we can still do that and be connective with what's gone before and what comes later. Yeah. And that slowly ramps Continuity up. comes in. That's right. And then when you start with a shared universe, ultimately continuity is the only way that works. Yeah. You have to have that availability. And you slowly get to that point, and that's why you get people coming back and back. It's no different than soap operas. You keep right. watching it because... Well, yeah, you comics are the printed version of soap opera. Very much so. Yeah. But there's an appeal to that because you can see the growth in character. Yes, you get invested you, in the character. And that's why it has survived because I think it is truly plots come, plots go, uh, but characters remain. And I think that's why they have a, they have coiled themselves into knots. All, all comic book companies have to try and create new characters. And by and large, that almost always fails. And that's an unfortunate thing, is because... Or becomes secondary at best. It's just right. You know, when I say that, I mean, you know, you, you don't hear of, oh my gosh, wow, now we've got the new Superman, or, you know, any of this stuff. All those They are very were, rare. You know, all those were created back then when character mattered. Continuity is both a, a boat anchor, but it's also a warp engine. 
it enables you to invest in these characters long term. And I think that answers your question. Why are they so popular? Because of their history. And so many people have been generationally now invested in these characters. That's why you can't So there's a lot of stuff going on here. There's... One, there's a fantastical element, mm-hmm. but combining it with real people problems, absolutely, which is kind of that hallmark of Stan Lee. That's of, right. Yes, let's let's have these a teenager folks, who isn't popular. These be folks a hero. have to live in the real world. They yeah. feel like real people. Real people. They have with real problems. problems. That's right. Clark Kent can do that. You know, Clark Kent is essential to Superman in the fifties and the Golden Age. Absolutely not. He, yeah. he, he was tolerated at best. Well, even the silver, it wasn't really, it was much later. It that's wasn't right. really until he became... Well, John Byrne, really. Well, no, lot. in the 70s, you know, when he went to television, that's a great example of mm-hmm. following the culture. Yeah. yeah. You know, people don't realize that because, again, it only happened for a little while back in the 70s. Clark Kent became a television reporter. That's right. He only, you know, later went back to, to print. Um, but, yeah, but they were real the people time, with real problems. Real people, real problems, but with a fantastical element uh-huh. that gives your imagination some play. That's it's correct. still escapist. Escapist. But it's also heroic. It's, it's very her- critical. You cannot... That's, that's, see, that's you one big piece of it that I wanted really, to get back you, to. It, well, see, again, it's character-driven. The best characters are have either greatness or great flaws. Villains are, you know, Doctor Doom is the gold standard of villains. Why? Because he has such amazing potential, and yet he also has such amazing hubris. He's Marvel's Lear. Uh, absolutely, he is pro- possibly the greatest villain, supervillain ever created. Yeah, uh, I would probably put him above and, uh, any other. I think there's another piece of it. And you're, you're, and that's why the movies haven't been able to get him right because they don't ever get that. Yeah, you're circling to it, but there's a sense of justice in all of this. Too. Absolutely. Justice always wins, eventually. In some form or another. It, it's, in it's, some, it's not always, perhaps, what we would call, you know, legal-style oh, justice. Oh, it it must be it, very, it's very moral in many respects, but it's also very, very nuanced now. Yes. Because the story medium has demanded, you know, as the readers become more sophisticated. The, right, and that's Because the we're not, you know, it, we're, yeah. 10-year-olds aren't reading this much. When you look at the history... When you see the 70s comics start reflecting reality, just like the movies and television were. Yep. What you're seeing there is that loss of that moral rudder, that moral compass that we had as yeah. a culture right. in yes. the 70s. You, you spend, we didn't know how to yeah. have heroes anymore because our, our everything was shaken. That's right. All right. Back in the 80s, again, not to you know say that Reagan was the panacea for the, the culture, but you see somebody there saying things are going to be better that automatically gives you you know people give it gives people hope so you start seeing that reflected in the culture and greater things right. so you see heroes someone in comics you see heroes cynical. right someone and you who see heroes cynical. in movies you know you see heroes in all forms of entertainment so comics are also reflecting that great uh, greatly so that's one of the, the appeal they whether they mean to or not maybe it's the culture influencing influencing the creators therefore influencing the books they are very much in tune with mm-hmm. The greater culture. Yeah, yeah. Denny O'Neill was famous for that. He was one of the first because so, he's very 1960s, late 60s, 70s, culturally oriented. Yeah. So then you eventually you're going to get into the anti-heroes along yes. with the heroes. The Punisher. The Punisher. Yep. Uh, you're going to see. Uh, and yeah, my, my references are mostly Marvel, but you're going to see yeah. Punisher. You're going to see Lobo on uh, the DC uh, side. Yeah. Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine is going to be the next one I was going to mention. Yep. All these guys who are. Um, uh, Wolverine really became an anti-hero later, even though he was uh, part of the early, you know, the X-Men. He was very much tempered there. Right. Yeah. He was seen as a loner who just happened to be there and became part of that and worked with the team. But eventually, 
Wolverine is not interesting because he has claws. No. He, Wolverine is interesting because of the character he is, and that's because he is this anti-hero. Well, it's friction with Scott. That's part it's of friction it. Friction with Scott. That's part of it. That yeah. was one of the testing grounds. Eventually, it became you know you can only have so much friction. You have to be able to function as a team. So you have all this nuance, this character relationship. That's when it works. Chris Claremont was a master at it because he's juggling all these different groups and uh, individuals within these groups he's got, but they're working with each other, and you got these nuanced relationships. That's where that's where they start with that. Now it, it gets hard. That's when it becomes a double-edged sword because when you've got such continuity and such relationships that you're tied to, a it's hard to keep up with. But really, more so than anything else, every time you change your writer, they would they would upend the apple carts and a lot of what and went before they... and do what they wanted and <laughs> yeah. often invalidate what went before. Yeah, let me tell you, I hate that. I, uh, that's really that's really the biggest problem. Uh... If if, if there's no keeper of the character anymore. It's supposed to be the editors. Yeah, they don't. But they because don't. They, they don't. It, it's, it's, like, it's like, take Stephen King. Nobody edits Stephen King anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, look at uh, J.K. Rowling. The first Harry Potter book was what, 250, 300 pages long? The last Harry Potter book was like 4,000 pages, right? Because nobody freaking edits anymore once you become big enough. Right. Uh, that's my own side diatribe. Well, I mean... You know, but, I mean, but it's you, very true. You've been waiting since 2011, I hear, for the uh, was it Winds, Winds of Winter? Winter? Yeah, that's correct. Oh my God! So, yeah, I mean, I mean, Martin is like it's almost a caricature now that mm-hmm. he, well, you know. Part of that is you know that's not even edit. Well, yeah, they're not pushing. They're not pushing. Well, because he's got a gazillion dollars, why does he need to? I'll just mention that we are sipping mm-hmm. on bourbon. We always have to say that in every episode. We that's are right. sipping on bourbon, and I'm listening to the gentle lapping waves of your swimming pool. Um, yes, because so. as the millennials say, we are so bougie. <laughs> I don't think they really understand what bougie means, bourgeois means, but oh, let's, Lord, let's not yes. even get that. Yeah, um, but that's a totally different episode. It's very enjoyable to be sitting out here by your pool with a little Woodford. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>